Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Hello and welcome to another podcast with Jay Barry Watts. Today, we're going to talk about getting more money into tax-free accounts. Now, Barry, where do we even begin with this? Because I mean, I know that you've addressed some of these things on previous podcasts, but but where where do we start and, and why are we even talking about this as a podcast in today's world? Well, why are we talking about it? Because it's better to have money that's not taxed. It's better to have tax-free accounts. So if you don't know about them and you don't know how to get to them, then that doesn't do you any good. So I think it's an important thing to talk about. You can only move toward that which you know and yeah. understand. And we're trying to help people know and help people uh, enlighten their understanding. That's what we're doing today. So there's three, right? So there's three kinds of tax uh, taxed accounts, right? Is that is that fair? Yeah, so any account that you have is going to be taxed in one of three different ways. The first account is, well, even before I go there, let me say this. If you were in my office today, I would draw big pictures on the whiteboard so that you could you could see and understand this. Now, you're not in my office. You're driving your car or your boat or, or sitting in your office waiting on a meeting or whatever you're doing. We don't have the benefit of the big whiteboard, so we're going to use the whiteboard of your mind. Dump, dump, dump. Okay. And I want you to imagine, if you might, that there are three containers on this whiteboard, three things in front of you, call them boxes, call them buckets, call them pots, pans, whatever you want them to be, three containers. And the first container, which I'll refer to as bucket number one, is the taxable bucket. Each of these containers is going to be the way things are taxed. So in your taxable bucket, the money that is in that bucket goes in after tax, It would be like your paycheck. You know, you get a W-2 form at the end of the year. Anything that has a W-2 or a 1099, is that's where the taxes maybe are going to have to be paid on that. Well, then that money gets dumped into this taxable bucket. So it's after-tax money that goes into the bucket. And then you pay a tax on any growth that happens into that account on a yearly basis. Okay, hold on. Uh, Hold on. Yeah. Aren't I getting taxed twice then? Oh, yes. The government will always tax you as many times as possible. And that's really kind of the whole point. If you've paid tax on your seed, why should you also pay tax on your harvest? I don't know, dude. And the answer is because the folks in Washington, D.C. are there to help you. And if they're going to keep printing money like they have been lately and distributing that money freely to people at random, it's (laughs) they're going to need more of your money. And the only way to get more of your money is not only to tax you on your seed, but to tax you on your harvest. So each year as your money grows, let's say you buy a stock and the stock doubled in value. That'd be wild, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome if that happened. Well, if that stock doubles in value and you sell it, you're going to pay a tax on the doubling in value as well. Hmm. Let's say you inherit money from your mom or your dad or your aunt Bessie. And that money goes into this account. It's bucket number one on the left-hand side of the whiteboard of your mind. Everything that's in that account is going to be taxed as the money grows. Let's say you buy a rental property next door 
and you start renting it out. Well, that money technically is in bucket number one. It's the taxable bucket. So this is the account where everything that happens inside of it is taxed and the money that goes into it to start the account is taxed. It's taxed all the time, taxed early and taxed often. Uh, this is the worst kind of bucket to have. Right. Well, so what are the pros of, of even putting money into this bucket? Well, the pros are uh, when you go to the grocery store to buy milk, you use money from this bucket to do that. I mean, this is the bucket that you live out of. This is the default bucket that kind of all money tends to go to before it goes somewhere else. And so the point is, because people don't know what their options are, sometimes they leave money in this bucket that shouldn't stay in this bucket. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how you can move money between the buckets and where is the preferred bucket to have most of your money. Okay. All right. Tell me more about the pros and cons of it. So, so we've talked about some of the cons uh, of this bucket specifically. What are what are, are there any other pros? <laughs> Besides, well, the the pro on this bucket is that generally it's liquid accessible money. Okay, you can get access to this money in sometimes as simple as you know just flashing your debit card and there you are, or writing a check or going by the bank and putting your card in the ATM. So this is liquid, but the con is not only is it taxable. But this particular bucket can lose value over time. It can even cause your social security to be taxed and it can cause your Medicare premiums to rise. So if you have too much money in this kind of bucket, it not only gets taxed itself, but it can cause other taxes to hit you from social security and Medicare. So those are the cons of this kind of bucket. But the good news is it's liquid accessible. And we like that. A lot of people like to have a lot of liquidity in their life. What I tell people is this is the bucket where you should keep your emergency money. And we recommend as an emergency fund about six months worth of your living expenses. So if you live on $100,000 a year, that'd be $50,000 that you ought to keep in a bucket like this whatever six months worth of living expenses are. My daughter, I'm so proud of her. I tell this story. It's been on another podcast, but humor me, would you? My daughter who just started her career, she's in year two of her career, just got a promotion and, and a raise and all those kind of things. Uh, she sat down right after she graduated and said, okay, dad, what do I do? First thing you do, baby, is you save six months worth of money in your emergency fund. And about two months ago, she emailed me and said, dad, I've got six months in my emergency fund. What's next? Wow. Yeah. I was really proud of her. She's a dandy girl. My girls are both dandy huh. and I, but I'm getting off topic, but I like talk about it. I, I could do that forever. But it's a great so, example, so, right? It's a great example of, of, of how important that is. And I mean, not just that, that she did it and that they're dandy, but can you imagine for our listeners who don't have six months of operating expenses somewhere that's liquid, can you imagine the feeling of security and comfort. And I mean, your daughter has to have a feel of not just accomplishment, but, but protection, right? Well, that is the point. Let's say you lost your job, but you know, we're still in the middle of this pandemic thing. Let's say because of COVID, you lost your job or for any other reason, you lost your job. If you don't have some money set aside in a liquid emergency fund, then you have to take the very first next job that's offered to you, whether you wanted it and liked it or not. If instead you have some money set aside, it buys you time to be choosy and to get the job perhaps that you want to take the opportunity that is presented to you that is most suitable. 
there are a lot of reasons that it's important to have an emergency fund set aside. But the important thing related to the tax buckets is that the emergency fund, that six months worth of living expenses, is the amount that you set aside in bucket number one. And if you have more than six months in that particular bucket, you have too much money in that bucket and you ought to move some of it somewhere else. Well, let's talk about where we move it now, Barry. So, so what's bucket number two? Well, go back to the whiteboard in your mind. Can you see the three containers on the board? The second container, which I call bucket number two, is the tax deferred bucket. Now, this is often thought of as the IRA or the 401k or the 403b or the pension and profit sharing plans. Money that goes into this bucket is tax deductible. And I like to say temporarily. And the reason I say temporarily is you get a deduction now and it feels really good and it grows tax deferred for all those years. You're not paying any tax on it. So it seems all good and well. But then when you start to take that money out down the road in retirement, it's going to be taxable to you at that time. And what you have to be thinking about is, will my taxes be higher or lower in 10 or 15 or 20 years? Now, everybody thinks because they've been kind of baited and trained to think this way. Everybody thinks, well, my taxes will be lower in retirement because my income will be lower in retirement. And while that concept could make some level of sense, not very much, frankly, what what you have to think about is, do you think the government's going to need more money in 10 or 15 or 20 years or less? Are taxes going to be higher or taxes going to be lower? I think taxes are going to be higher. And if that's the case, what it means is you're getting a tax break for putting it in today when taxes are a third or less than your income. And you're going to take that money out at some point in the future, and you're going to pay taxes on it at 50 or 60%. That's what the experts are telling us. That's a thing to be aware of about bucket number two. So any money that goes into this is, is money that doesn't have a tax paid on it. You get a deduction for putting it in. Grows tax deferred, but it'll be taxable when you take it out, and that can bite you in the rear end. And you're talking about the the type of taxation then when you were talking about a third now and potentially 50% later down the road. This is actually taxed as ordinary income, not capital gains, because that's what people think. Well, I have investments, therefore I'm going to pay only capital gains taxes on the actual gains, but that's not the case in this bucket, correct? Well, you're absolutely right. And most people don't really know and understand the difference between those two. Oh. But here's why Here's why it matters. Investors like capital gains taxes instead of ordinary income taxes. Ordinary income taxes are higher. Everybody pays ordinary income taxes, but not everybody pays capital gains in the current tax structure that we have in the United States. For example, depending on what your income is, you may not pay any tax on capital gains. Let me explain first what a capital gain is. Let's say that you buy uh, the house next to you for $100,000. And let's say you hold on to that house for 10 years and you rent it out, and then you sell that house for $150,000 10 years from now. The $50,000 profit you made that you sold it for 150, you only gave 100 for it. The $50,000 profit is a gain in capital, thus a capital gain. The same thing happens when you buy a stock and then sell the stock later. You have a capital gain, assuming the stock price went up. The point is capital gains taxes are less right now in the United States. We have three capital gains brackets, zero. That's the one that I like. (laughs) We have zero, 15%. And then the wealthiest people only pay 20% in capital gains. So you could be paying over 40% really in state and federal income taxes. But if you're getting your money through capital gains, you'd only be paying 20%. So you can see capital gains are advantageous. Investors like to think about capital gains. I prefer my tax to be a capital gain. And so they think about it that way. And they think about their, their IRA 401k kind of an account as being an investment account. 
But when you take the money out of those accounts in the future, you don't get to pay taxes at the capital gain rate. You'll pay the tax instead at the ordinary income rate, just like it was a paycheck that was written to you. That's the big difference that you're talking about. Well, and you said with the with the taxable bucket, our emergency fund bucket, that you should have six months of operating expenses. Do you have the same formula for what how much money should be in bucket number two? Well, we kind of do. You may know that at a certain point in the future, you have to start taking money out of this account. It's called the required minimum distribution. And the tax law that recently came in changed that from age 70 and a half is what it used to be to now age 72 is when the required minimum distribution kicks in. Now, the way they do it is they say, well, okay, how many years do you have left in life expectancy? And the government has a chart for that. They take those years of life expectancy and they divide your account by how many years you have left. For example, at age 72, the average person has, the government says, 25.6 years in life expectancy left. So literally, they take however much money is in your account, divide it by 25.6, and that's the amount that you have to take out that year as a required minimum distribution. When that required minimum distribution comes out, then that'll be taxed as ordinary income. Now, you ask if we had a formula for how much money we want in this bucket. Well, let me think about this for a moment with you. You may know, you've paid little attention to this, that when you do your taxes, you have something called itemized deductions. And it used to be that a lot of people itemized their deductions and their charitable giving was on there and the interest that they paid on their mortgage was on there and any casualty losses and health expenses were on there and so forth. But what's happened is the itemized deductions have begun to go away and been replaced with what we call a standard deduction. And the standard deduction, if you're married, is $24,800. That means that the first $24,000 that you earn as a married couple you pay no tax on it. And so if you don't pay any tax on it, then as long as you manage your IRA type account, your bucket number two account, so that the required minimum distribution is always going to be less than the standard deduction, 24,000 married, half that if you're single, well, then you've got an appropriate amount in that particular account. Based on how tax laws are set up currently, which we suspect they're probably going to change going forward, but based on how they're set up currently, the maximum amount of money that we would want in container or bucket number two is going to be an amount equal so that the required minimum distribution falls under the standard deduction. And if you have six months worth of living expenses in bucket number one, if you have an amount in bucket number two so that the required distribution falls under the standard deduction, then you have the right amount in those two particular accounts. So there's actually two subtopics under this tax deferred bucket. So I'm, I'm visualizing the money that goes in after tax and that grows tax deferred. That's very, very different than the IRA, 401k, 403b pension. So can can we can we switch gears? Because it's interesting because the the way that you've outlined this for for me today to make sure that you don't chase too many rabbits there, Barry, which you have been known to do on other podcasts. Well, well. <laughs> uh, let's. I like to think of it as being very informative. Well, and my goodness, are, doesn't well, this gentleman know a lot of things about different topics? 
<laughs> it is nice that you have a, a wide array of ways to go. But let's just talk about this. So, th so there's another way for the bucket number two to be looked at. So let's talk about that before. Well, we move on. And, and this actually is a very skinny or minor rabbit. Okay. So don't major on this particular issue. <laughs> bucket number two is a, ta a bucket that's tax deferred. Most everybody, what they put into it is tax deductible and it grows tax deferred and it's taxable when you take it out. Technically, you can put after-tax money into bucket number two. That is money that you put into the bucket, but you don't get any tax deduction for it. And it will still grow tax-deferred as well. And so that's a good thing. And then when you take that out in the future, you would have to pay the tax on the growth, but not on the original principal, because you'd already paid the tax on the original principal. Now, very few people, small percentage of the population, actually use what we call the after-tax IRA or the after-tax 401k. The tax deferred bucket number two is really almost exclusively used to obtain tax deductions up front. But you should know that there is a after tax option that can be bolted onto that bucket as well. And that's what you're asking about. Okay. So the ultimate goal here is for us to have the appropriate amounts in bucket number one and bucket number two, and really take advantage of bucket number three, which I don't think many people even understand what bucket number three is. So would you mind starting there? Well, that's exactly the point. If we've got our six months worth of living in bucket number one, so we've got our emergency fund, and we've got an amount in bucket number two, so our withdrawals that are required to be made are less than our standard deduction, then we don't have any tax due on that at all. But if we've got more money than that, and hopefully you do, well, if that money is going to be in bucket number two, it's going to be taxed through the wazoo when you take it out in the future. If it's in bucket number one, it's going to be taxed every year along the way. And we've got this third bucket sitting down here on the right-hand side of the great whiteboard in your mind, and that bucket is called tax-free. That's the bucket where you don't pay any future taxes. And I don't know about you, but that's the bucket that I want to have my money in. So the money that goes into this bucket, bucket number three, has been, I like to say, cleansed of taxes. You've paid all the tax that's due on it. There's not going to be any more tax required. It goes into bucket number three where it grows tax-free. When you take the money out of bucket number three, it distributes out tax-free as well. Tax-free growth and tax-free distribution, that's the kind of life that I've been looking for. And that's why we try to help investors and try to help tax planning clients to position their money as much as possible into bucket number three. So we like to say that bucket number three is where you want to keep all the rest. What you really want to have is a big bucket number three. Now, let me tell you, when people come sit down at my office and spill all their beans and put it out all on the table so we can see what they've got, for the most part, People have the bulk of their money in bucket number two. That's that tax deductible bucket, the tax deferred bucket, I should say. That's where the IRA is, the 401k is. Most working class Americans have done their savings there. If they own a business, then they may have a big amount of money back over in bucket number one. But, but if they're just working class folks, they've got that big amount of money in bucket number two, and they may not have anything in bucket number three or a little bit. I see a lot of people who have, for example, bucket three Roth IRA accounts. That's a bucket three item. I see people who have those accounts set up, but they don't really have them funded to any great degree. They might have 10% of their money in bucket number three and 80% of their money in bucket number two. 
And that's actually backwards, but nobody's ever emphasized and taught them how to take advantage of bucket number three. Frankly, the financial planning community doesn't get paid for advising you on bucket number three. They don't have any incentive to, to stop and teach this topic. A lot of people just don't get bucket number three funded. But hold on. There's limitations on the bucket. I've got a I've got a Roth IRA and it says that I'm only allowed to put six thousand dollars in it a year. How how I how am I supposed to put all of my money or the majority of my money into bucket number three when it seems like there's caps, dude? Well, you need to get older and then you can put seven thousand in your IRA. See? <laughs> so I'm working on it. Because if you're over fifty. If you're over 50, they give you an extra thousand bucks. But no, the, the, the maximum amount you can put in a Roth is $6,000. And it's hard to get rich $6,000 at a time. I don't mean to poo poo $6,000. It beats a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Even when they give you the over age $50,000 catch up provision. So now you can put $7,000 in, $14,000, including your spouse. It's still hard to make progress very rapidly. When we start funding bucket number three, let me be sure you understand what's in bucket number three. There could be a Roth IRA in bucket number three. There can be Roth conversions. That's where you take an IRA account and you, you turn it into a Roth IRA account instead. There could be a Roth 401k in bucket number three. And there could be what are called private insured retirement advantage accounts, PIRAs, Private Insured Retirement Advantage Accounts, or some places they refer to them as LERPs, Life Insurance Retirement Plans. What's, what's beautiful that really people like about those plans once they learn about them is that they provide uh, long-term care and chronic illness benefits in addition to life insurance benefits, and they do it all tax-free. So those are the options you've got down there. Now, you said, well, I can't put more than $6,000 into my Roth. That's true. But if you were wanting to do a Roth conversion from your IRA account to your Roth IRA account, there is no limit on how much you can convert. People are really confused about this wow. because, because they, we talk and teach them about conversions. And then they say, but I can only convert $6,000. No, 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 no. You can convert 100% of what's in your IRA to a Roth. 100%. Now, listen to me you probably won't want to convert 100% at one time because if you did that, it would drive you through the top tax bracket and it would become unpalatable tax-wise to do that. And that's why planning is so important. What we do is we sit down and say, okay, how much can you convert this year and not, not hurt you? How much will you convert next year and not hurt you and the year after that and not hurt you? And how many years will it take to do this conversion of IRAs to Roths and still manage the taxes to be as low as possible. And at what point will you be out of IRA money, out of the bucket two money, no more tax deferred money waiting in the wings to bite you later on, but everything will be in the tax-free account. That's what planning is for. And so you can convert as much as you want into a Roth IRA. You can't contribute new money beyond 6000 a year, 7000 if you're over age 50, but you can convert as much as you want. Would you mind walking us a little bit more through the Pyra or the LERP? Uh, it's not something I'm wildly familiar with. And can you give us a little bit more education on those? Well, we have a whole podcast on that topic, oh. and I wish I could tell you the title of the podcast at the moment because I uh, don't have it and don't remember, but I think it has LERP in the name. If you'll look through the directory, you'll be able to find that. Here, here's what a, a 
private insured retirement advantage account or a LERP is. There are special types of life insurance. And everybody says, oh, boo, I don't want to talk about life insurance. Well, wait, I think you might want to talk about this. There are special types of life insurance that are designed not really for the death benefit feature as much as they are designed for the tax-free growth that happens inside life insurance. In one of these accounts, the money that you put into it grows tax-free just like it would grow tax-free in a Roth. And it distributes tax-free just like it would distribute tax-free out of a Roth. And oh, by the way, if you need to go into long-term care, or chronic illness, I like to say, if you set one of these up and you walk out of my office and you step off the curb and get hit by a bus and it doesn't kill you, well, then you're going to need to go to the nursing home and have somebody take care of you for a while. This will automatically take whatever death benefit was in that particular policy and bring that to light immediately to be used as a chronic illness benefit so that you could use it to provide for long-term care. But if you don't use it for that purpose because you didn't step off the curb and get hit by a bus, well, then in the future, you're going to be able to take that money out and spend it tax-free. And if you have so much money that you never needed to spend it tax-free, well, then this money just winds up going to your children in the form of death benefit in the future, and that will be tax-free too. I use one of these and fund it heavily. This is a big, important account to me. And, and the, to tie this back to a question you asked earlier, you're talking about only being able to put 6000 in your Roth. That's right. You can convert as much to a Roth as you want. But what happens if you've got a million dollars sitting down there in bucket number one? Well, you can put 6000 of it into a Roth. That doesn't get you anywhere very fast. You can put as much as you want to into a Pyra or a LERP. I have a client who put $500,000 in one stroke, just wrote one check, boom, there's $500,000. I have many clients who put between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year into their Pyra account. And they'll do that for a period of seven to 10 years. And then they stop, the funding is done on it. And we just kind of set the, we, like, we, we call it uh, allowing it to bake. We allow the account to bake and to grow tax-free. And then we start taking that money out somewhere later on down the road as tax-free income to them. And that is all bucket number three money. The thing you need to understand is there's all kinds of rules you got to follow on the Roth or on an IRA or a 401k, things you have to do. For example, you can't touch your money until you're 59 and a half. Well, you can, but you got to follow some more rules to do that. And then you must start taking the money out at age 72. You're limited on how much you can contribute. And not only are you limited on how much you can contribute, but if you make too much money, you don't even qualify to have one of these accounts. So they, they say, sorry, it was such a good thing that we're not going to let you have it because you make too much money. Well, the good thing about a Pyra or a LERP is none of those limitations exist. 59 and a half, who cares? 72, who cares? How much money you make, you put as much as you want to it. In fact, about 90, I've lost track of the number. I think it's 85%, actually. 85% of the S&P 500 CEOs have Pyra and LERP accounts. Jim Harbaugh, the football coach at, is it Michigan State? Or the University of Michigan, I believe he is. It would be the uh, Jim, University of Michigan, yeah. Yeah, at the University of Michigan. Sorry, I know I just uh, upset some, uh, is it Wolverines? Is that what's in Michigan? Yeah, dude, I'm yeah, one of I, those. So, yeah. Are you really? You hurt my soul with that. I had no clue that I insulted you by calling you a Spartan. <laughs> How about that? Well, Harbaugh, if you, you can Google this, by the way, Harbaugh's compensation came in a salary plus a huge 
Tyra or LERP plan. The University of Michigan is funding money into Harbaugh's plan every year so that he will have tax-free income in the future. So people say, well, how come I haven't heard about this? Well, it's kind of complicated. A lot of people don't understand about it. You know, I'd been in the insurance industry many years before I understood it. Nobody set me down when I was a young trainee and said, now, let me show you how this worked. It just never happened. You kind of had to go learn it on your own. It's it's a high-level strategy that people with wealth use and that poor people don't have access to for the most part. All of this is about learning, about training, about learning what's available. And if you don't avail yourself of things like this podcast and read some books and take some classes, you'll just never see and learn about these things. And, and you'll be a very smart, ignorant person. Uh, by that, I mean somebody who's got the capability to digest it all, but you can't digest what you haven't been exposed to. All right. Well, I, I'm I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate as we wrap up here. But but Barry, that just sounds too good to be true, dude. Yeah. I, when you know, my grandmother always told me if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. What am I missing here? <laughs> dude, I, I hear that all the time. Uh, I, I liken that to uh, to Jesus walking up to somebody and saying, you know, I'll forgive you of your, their, your sin. And they say, no, no, sounds too good to be true. I'm just going to try to keep working it off myself. It's like, pay attention here. It sounds too good to be true. Uh, well, you know, have you heard all of the good news that there is available no, in the world? No, not even close, man. Have you eaten all of the great food that there is in the world? I'm trying desperately. But uh, yeah, yeah. But bring me some more just in case. The point is, there's all kinds of things. Have you seen all of the beautiful sights? Travel to all of the beautiful places. The world is a big, big place. And there are lots of tools and lots of good things that you could use. Now, you spend all day helping to produce podcasts and doing marketing for business owners. Mm -hmm. That's what you do in your business. How often do you have time to just say, well, I think I'm going to spend the afternoon to uh, see if there are any tax-free retirement strategies with unlimited contribution privileges? You don't have time for that. You don't even know how to study that, how to ask the question so Google will give you the right answer. I have trouble with that, by the way. <laughs> a lot of times I know what I want Google to tell me. I just don't know how to phrase it in the way that Google will give me the answer. And then when it does give me the answer, oh, great, there are 50 million pages <laughs> of answers. Now you have to sort through which one is real and which one is fake. Yeah. What I would say to you is just because you have, haven't heard of it doesn't mean that it's not true and that it isn't so. I mean, I can show you internal revenue code documents in section 7702 of the internal revenue code that address this very specific topic. It's what we do. And I'm a professional. And if it's what I'm doing for myself, well, you can bet that I'm not doing it for myself uh, because it's a bad idea. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. Uh, one of the things I love about your podcast is, you know, everything that you talk about are, are things that not only have you done for other people multiple, multiple, multiple times, but it's also things that you teach your daughters, you teach your family, you teach your friends. So any closing statements that you think uh, everybody needs to know, Barry, before we wrap up today's podcast? Well, of course there is. I think everybody needs to uh, listen to the podcast, subscribe. Well, there's a button where you got your podcast that says subscribe, punch the subscribe button, and you'll get these podcasts fed to you twice a month. That's how often we do them. That's why you'll get them twice a month. It's amazing how that works. The other thing is share this podcast. If there's somebody else that uh, you think would find this interesting and helpful, and you would like for them to have this information, 
so that they can learn and grow along with you. Well, there's a share button on the podcast. Just click share and you can text a link over to them or you can email a link over to them. And that way they'll be able to enter uh, enter in and listen to the podcast as well. Just this morning, I came to the office and had a surprise appointment on my calendar from someone I've never heard of, never met before who lived out of state, who found us by listening to the podcast. Nice. That is, uh, of course, the way podcasting works. It's why we do the podcast. We want to help people who are looking for the information we have. If you're looking, your friends are probably looking, and I would encourage you to share this podcast with them. And also, please go to savingyoutaxes.com to make sure that you keep abreast of everything else that is going on with the firm. Barry, this was freaking awesome. Thank you very much for all of your thought leadership today. Good to talk with you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.